We are It's More Than Just a Chant. We are inspirational creators, difference makers, world changers, and we are one community. Join alums Jared and Ross as they uncover stories of Penn Staters and their unique professional and personal journeys. We are Penn State, and this is Lion Legacy. episode number 40 of lion legacy and this is an important number makes a lot of sense because we're talking about beer yes sir and we also we have a special guest we started this new trend we had our buddy jonathan bellman on a few weeks ago when we spoke with olivier noel and today we have another good friend of ours from penn state mr andrew franson joining us here andy say hi hello hello and, and the great thing is, Andy is a beer connoisseur, right? I sure am. I love beer. So we had to bring him on because, quite honestly, I'm not a beer guy. I I know this is bad and people are probably booing. Bad form, Jared. Listening, but, yeah, I just never acquired the, the taste of beer. So we needed to bring in the expert guy in, in Andy and – I'm more of a, quite honestly, I'm a vodka gimlet guy. That's my drink. But yeah, exactly. That's Whatever gets the job done. Exactly. That's what I like to to sip on Fridays and Saturdays. But yeah, when we're talking beer, we got to bring in Andy. That's right. Hey, hey, I know a thing or two about beer, Jared. Don't tell me that's, short here. That's true. That's why we have two, right? Yeah, I need no, a replacement. That's right. I need Andy here. He's got to pull some weight and pick up for you. Exactly. Exactly. Speaking of beer, though, yes. you know, let's go back to, to Penn State, visiting the, the bars senior year, maybe even junior year. I think, Ross, you were on the early side of frequenting the bars while the rest of us were not allowed in, or at least legally not allowed in. But let's go back in time. Favorite Penn State bar? It's, you know, it's hard to answer. I, I, I favorite one, I think probably be, just because we spent so much time there was uh, Cafe 210. That was our spot, our friend, our group of friends. That was like the place to be. You think about those nice spring days, you get out of class in the afternoon and we spent just a few hours there. Andy, I, just a I few yeah, we, we had our rotation. We had yeah. a regular schedule where it was Thursday night. We went to the Allen Street Grill for dollar Miller Light bottles, I think. Yeah. And then we went to Cafe 210 on the weekends for yeah. the pitchers, the teas. And every once in a while, do you guys remember going to the Shandy Gaff? Yeah, of course. Shandy Gaff. Grabbing some pictures of, I, I don't know what it was. <laughs> you know, at the time, it didn't matter. It, it was. It might have been Miller Lite if we were lucky. And it was two, to, two bucks or whatever. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Were you guys fans of the first? Uh, I love the first. Yes. It's funny. Jessica was just singing the, the Saturday night song and we busted out in tune just this evening when we're recording in the, the, the Saturday night, Saturday, the song that the first family used to open up with memories. So, oh man. And- I used to love that table wars. Again, people, listeners out there that are of our generate circa our, our age will remember this, right? The first, uh, pardon my ignorance. Is the first still there? Did it close? It's still there. Still okay. Thank goodness. First family though, are they still doing their thing or some variation of that? Probably. Oh, okay, that's good. But you kind of go back and visit, and it's like you know, oh, this one, this bar closed, and that bar closed, and from before our time, even people from the '80s and '90s, they had their scene of establishments, and it all changes over time. 
I would say most of the bars that we went to on a fairly regular basis have all gone away. Like yeah. Skeller, Dark yep. Horse Tavern. Yep. And now there's champs, right? That's like the hot. Now there's bar, like right? the new ones, and there's so much variety now. Like you don't know where to go. What was champs? Was uh, I think Chili. a Chili's, right? Yeah. Which had a, I think those that was a dollar margarita on Wednesday, right? So that's my type of drink too. <laughs> but Jared, and I'll say this live on the air while we're recording here. You know, what we should do is when we post this episode. Let's do a little poll. Maybe see if we can get some people to chime in. No matter when they graduated, what was your favorite place to go as far as the bar scene in State College? Just get a little reminiscing. Let's get a little poll going. I like it. Yeah. I like it. We should do that. There you go. That was right off the top of my head. So the reason why we're we're talking, the reason why we brought Andy on and the reason why we're talking bars is because of our guest today. We spoke with Richie Tevlin, who's the head brewer at Victory Brewing in Philadelphia. He works at their new brew pub in Center City. He's a beer guy. Tells us about what's going, how he got into the industry, what he's doing with Victory. We talk a lot of beer. We talk about what's going on and what they're doing to set themselves apart uh, from the others. How how he got into this whole thing and. It's just a fun conversation. You know, I mean, anytime we're talking about beer, it's it's a good time. So with that, let's crack open a cold one. We're going to go have a pint with Richie Tevlin. All right. Let's welcome Richie Tevlin, 2015 graduate with a business degree from Smeal. Richie has what many would deem as a dream job. He is the head brewer at Victory Beer a world-renowned craft brewery that just celebrated its 25th anniversary last year. So let's crack open a cold one, of course, if you're of age, right, for this podcast. And thanks for joining us, Richie. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Very excited to be here. We really did just hear the crack. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Right on cue. I love it. Hey, um, Andy's all prepared. He's got his victory. Richie's got one. I I actually – I. Bad on me. I don't have any victory. I, I didn't prepare properly. I'll make sure I make good on that at some point. Uh, Richie, hey, great to have you on. Andy and I are certainly very familiar with victory, but maybe some of our listeners that are outside of the, I guess, the Northeast part of the country, we'll get into distribution later, might not be as familiar. So just tell us about the brewery and, and what makes it different from others. Yeah, so victory is a regional craft brewery. We make almost 200,000 barrels a year. It was founded 26 years ago by Bill Kovaleski and Ron Barchett, who are actually grade school friends. And they originally opened it as a brewery that was going to be able to provide German tr- traditional German-style beer to the local market. That quickly changed. One of their first four beers was Hop Devil, and that really took off in the area. This is Back in the day, everybody was looking for like the most bitter beers as possible, and Hop Devil was exactly what everybody was looking for. So... In the last 25 years, they've expanded their portfolio to have brands that you guys probably know, Cloudwalker, Golden Monkey, Sour Monkey, Prima Pills. Yeah, as Jared mentioned, this is probably a dream job for many people. What goes into being a head brewer at a big brewery? So a head brewer is just some people don't that don't know what these titles mean. So all my friends call me to their other friends, brewmaster. That's I'm not the brewmaster. Brewmaster is basically the COO of a company or like the most senior brewer at a company, but I just let them call me brewmaster. Their friends, they get to sound more important, but uh, a head brewer for us is essentially 
the senior brewer at a certain location. So right now I'm the head brewer. I'm MA head brewer at Victory, but I am the head brewer at our new Philly tap room in Center City. Yes, I'm the most senior brewer there, but I'm also the only brewer there. So I'm also the assistant brewer, everything in between. My job entails a lot of different things. It's a little bit of art, a little bit of science, a little bit of manual labor, some computer work. I work by myself sometimes. I get to host events for large groups of people sometimes. It's a little bit of everything. Every every day is different for me. Got to know, how how did you get in the industry? Back ended my way in, I guess. Most people that you talk to that are brewers, they normally were people that hung around tap rooms long enough to where they felt like they needed to start making money there. They started beer tending. Eventually that turns into some packaging work. And then that turns into some assistant brewer or seller work. Then eventually they become brewers. I decided sophomore year, I'm going to get into a little bit why I decided this. Sophomore year of college, I decided that I wanted to go full in on becoming a brewer. I've never had a normal job. It's always been a brewer. So after college, I got, it took me about three months to find a job. Nobody was really hiring in 2015 for brewer or seller positions, especially people that had no experience. After college, I got a job at, in Frederick, Maryland at Flying Dog Brewery. I was there for about two years before I came up here to Victory. So that said, did you get into like home brewing? Did you do all that? Like when, I don't know, like when you were in college or like shortly thereafter or on the side, is that something you're into? I got into home brewing because I knew I wanted to be a brewer and I was terrible at it. I hated it. I was, I guess I was, I was lost. I was an undecided major. Yes, I got a business degree, but it was a business management, which is an all around business degree. I really had no idea what I, what I wanted to do with myself. I'd always joked with friends in high school about how I wanted to open up like a brewery or distillery. It just seemed like a cool lifestyle. And then when I was at Smeal, all my professors, this is 2015. 2013 when I was a sophomore, all my professors were always using breweries as examples in class. Because if, if you're into craft beer, every large regional brewery has kind of story that they put out. Most brewers that you know started these big, large craft breweries have put out books. So there's so much information out there about how these companies started, why these people did what they did, what decisions they made. So all my business professors were like saying, here are these things that we're learning in class. Here's a real world example. You guys are all interested in this because this is beer. So it seemed that half my professors were using this like brewing as an example. So I figured why not give it a swing? You know, Homer Simpson is a brewer. It can't be that difficult. And also you have to be 21 to brew because it's alcohol. So I thought, like, I'm not even 21 yet. If I decide this is something I want to pursue, I can get right in just as soon as everybody else can. And it's something that I can, you know, get better at from the start. There's going to be a lot of business majors now knowing that uh, they talk (laughs) about beer in Penn State classes. Yeah, definitely. And honestly, being a business major probably isn't the smartest thing to be a brewery. I definitely would have helped if I was an engineer or some other STEM major. Besides uh, business management. The, the reason I ask about the home brewing, though, is I, I feel like I'm a big beer fan, right? Andy, you're a big beer fan. But if I tried myself, there's no way that I'm going to come up with a product that's anywhere near as good as what I can get from Victory or one of the other larger or smaller shops out there, right? Definitely not. And I mean, I always encourage people to homebrew, but it is not for me. You're brewing essentially on in with kitchen equipment in a little tiny kitchen if you know anything about brewing, you make a huge mess. It is not a quick process. Home brewing takes like nine or 10 hours. You're inevitable. You're going to have a couple beers while you're doing it. 
And most of the important stuff happens at the very end of the process. So now you've been in your kitchen making a mess all day. You've got a little buzz on. And now you've hit the point where you need to knock out, cool your wart, and pitch your yeast. And for me, it just never turned out how it was supposed to. And then on top of that, a lot people don't think about home brewing is how are you going to package it? We have full packaging departments at Victory. And, you know, if you're a smaller brewery, you can fill up kegs. But if you're home brewing, um, most people either put them in bottles or use a corny keg. And both of those are very hard to clean. So even if you make the perfect beer, there's a you know, good percentage chance that could go bad. Just it's a lot of risk and a lot of work where I have a perfect brew house. I have a $500,000 brew house that I can brew on every day at work. So for me, there's no desire to brew at home. Fair enough. All right. So let's bring it back to victory. We see, we as consumers see the finished product, right? And so we probably can't appreciate what goes into the decision-making as far as like your bosses go, right? They decide, Hey, we're going to plan out the beers for, let's say the next year, we're going to figure out what we're making. We've got our usual brews. We may, we've got some seasonal ones and maybe some special, something new. What goes into that process as far as deciding on that beer schedule for, let's say the next 12 months? So being the large brewer that we are, we have commitments to wholesalers and distributors that they need to know far in advance because we're selling so much beer to them. So their schedules are probably a year in advance. I don't know the specifics, but probably a year in advance. For what I'm doing in the tap room, it's the turnaround from when ideation, as far as when I decide I want to brew a certain type of beer and I start to make the recipe to when it gets the consumer's hand is anywhere from one to three months. That's just depending on what type of beer style, how fast people are drinking through the rest of the beers. But the fastest I can get through is probably a month. And you, you talked about brewing at home. My brother and I both uh, had bought kits and did the brewing at home. And we've had some batches that were awful. Have you ever had any batches that you've made full recipes that just turned out terrible? I definitely have. And not, and even brewing at Victory, not the beers that we were selling to people. So, so for better or worse, my job at working in the tap room, it, part of it is innovation. So I'm making beers that Victory isn't currently making, and I'm trying out new recipes. So there's a chance that something could go wrong or the recipe just isn't great. But for the better or worse, I have to sell all the beer that I'm putting out there. So I'm not taking these crazy risks as far as these different ingredients or these different processes that we don't normally do. But before this tap room opened, I was part of the, the innovation team on the larger scale at our main production facility. And that is a half barrel system. Do you guys want a barrel? So a barrel is 31 gallons. In, in beer, we measure everything in barrels. So a barrel is 31 gallons and a keg is 15 and a half gallons. So when we talk about barrels, just think about two kegs. So we had a half barrel brew system. It was basically a pimped out home brew system. It was a bunch of kegs welded together with steam jackets and glycol jackets. It was really nice. But we, as part of that, we were making beers that were, I hate to use the word extreme, but they were these beers that weren't typically drank. So I was making these IPAs with different types of yeast or using different processes with different hot products. And some of those beers turned out terrible, but that's a half barrel system. And all that beer goes 
either down the drain or it goes in our end of shift taps where you know people working at the main facility get to grab a pint before they get home. So they get to grab a pint of potentially bad taste. Well, <laughs> if it tastes bad, we dump it down the drain. All those batches that turned out great, they're not going in the tap room, so they're just going on the end of shift taps. Here you go, guys. Here's the dregs of what we just created. (laughs) But who's determining if it's truly bad? You may think it's bad. Someone may say, oh, this is great. Yeah, true. So so beer is food. It's not like a math equation where one plus one equals two. Some people like stuff. Some people don't like stuff. It's art. But so this is going to sound bad. I drink beer every day, but it's not like I'm drinking beer every day. As a brewer, you're tasting beer every day. And as a company, as a whole, Victory... We do tastings every day. The lab hosts tastings every day where you're encouraged to go at 1030 in the morning, every morning, do a blind tasting of all the beer that's being packaged that day. We've just gotten pretty good at drinking beer and tasting beer. And we've merged, not, we all, obviously we all have different palates, but as a whole, as a company, we're trying to figure out what different tastes are. So for the most part, everyone unanimously decides if beer is good or bad. We don't normally get infections. If there's an off-flavor infection, everybody's even if it, the beer might taste good to somebody that doesn't perceive that off-flavor, we can tell that's off-flavor and we'll just you know, dump it. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was down in uh, Key West with one of my friends, and I went into this one bar, and number three on the list was Golden Monkey. I was a little surprised to see it down in Florida. What's the distribution like for Victory? So we sell in 34 states, I believe. I think it... I couldn't tell you the number of countries, probably anywhere from 10 to 20, if I had to guess. But are you guys familiar with the three-tier system as far as distribution goes? No. Oh, like the, what, the like macro level and then the craft breweries and then, right? Is um, it, you have something like that or no? Not quite. It's more of a way to stop monopolies. It was the excuse that started, I don't know, 150 years ago. But breweries have to sell to a third party that they're not connected to that then sells beer to retailers. So the beer that's in Florida, we probably sell to distributor. I'm not sure where the handoff is, either in Florida or in Pennsylvania, but we sell to a wholesaler in or distributor in Florida that then sells the beer to the local market there. It's a way for large macro breweries to not just own a bunch of bars all over the country and then just sell beer for cheaper than everybody else. It's good to hear that because I'll tell you, Richie, so I was, I lived in New York for a time and then I came back to Philadelphia about 12 years ago. And I remember going to the Victory Brew Pub in Downingtown when that was probably the only one they had, maybe like circa 2010. Yeah. Yeah. That was still the only one they had. They might've had Kennett Square, but that was the only production facility that they had. So I remember going there and they had the whole lineup of taps, you know, but let's say it was a dozen taps and it was way more than I had ever seen at like my local beer distributor. And I'm saying, oh, man, these beers are so good. I wish I could get more. But back then, it was like, you know, if you went into a beer distributor, you were seeing, what, Prima Pills, Hop Devil, maybe a couple others. But it largely, the, the distribution wasn't there like it is today. So after all these years, I'm happy to see that they, they've amped up the distribution to get all those great brews out there to the public. Definitely. We've definitely started to distribute more styles of beer. But for the most part, we're probably distributing 12 to 15 brands. And I, again, I don't know the exact number on that, but when you go to our tap rooms, there's definitely a lot more options because we, we have a lot of beers that are tap room exclusive or just, they might be out of stock 
in the local market or they only get distributed to certain regions. But when you go to the tap room, everything is right there. Hey, Richie, we have a great partnership with the Daily Collegian. I'm sure you remember reading that in 2015 or when you were back in school. And every episode, we have students submit questions. We choose one. And this week, Vincent LOI, a senior business major, wants to know, how do you come up with the names of the beers? I'm kind of a one-man band, what I'm doing down in Philadelphia. How I'm trying to name beers is most beers follow the same general style. It's one to five letters long, something that can roll off your tongue. It's either a beer pun or something that has to do with the local market or some funny thing that has to do with the company, like a little pun. But what I'm doing in Philly is I'm trying to connect to the local market. So if you see my beer names, a lot of them are named after either founding fathers or stuff around Philadelphia. We just had a beer called Whiz Wit. It was a wheat beer. So just tie stuff back to Philadelphia. And then we, I'm actually brewing a beer tomorrow with a U Science, a group of brewing school at U Sciences, a sour IPA. So we've made sour IPAs in the past called Cosmic Handshake, Cosmic, I forget the other one, but I'm basically playing off that. I'm just calling it Cosmic Frontier. So same general concept of names because these are all brands. We want our customers to be able to relate these. So when they see Cosmic Frontier or Cosmic Handshake, they're like probably subconsciously thinking this is a sour IPA. So I'm just playing off all the themes. And then your marketing team does the can design because I noticed you've got some pretty cool cans. Yeah, so we have a whole creative team. So we have a branding team that kind of puts the direction together as far as what brands we need to make, how much we need to make, and then what our plans are for the future. Then we have a graphic design team that then puts together all of the details for that. And then I believe we have a separate like creative team that then there might be some marketing people and some sales people that then decide on the, the final names and uh, like the final direction that we're going on our beers. Richie, I want to, before I get to my next question, I want to give you a chance to plug the, you keep referring to the brew pub in Philadelphia, which is fairly new. I, I have not been there yet, but it's on my list. So first tell us about when did it open? Where is it located in center city? And uh, what's the vibe there? So we opened in October. I got, so this is actually my second time at victory. I got hired October of 2020 and we were told, I was told that the tap room was going to be open in six months. And I guess I got hired in March of 2020. So I, I was told it was going to open in six months, middle of summer, and then COVID hit. So everything shut down. Then we had some construction fall back. So we finally opened this past October. We were located at 1776 Benjamin Franklin Parkway. Decent address. We were <laughs> smack dab in the middle between Logan Square and Love Park. So right downtown, we found a niche where there's not too many bars or restaurants there. And it's, it's been great ever since we've been packed house almost every single night. There's a beautiful brew house there. Like I said, it's a $500,000 brew house that they built me. It's amazing. So love going to work every day. So yeah, I'll, I can plug our social media at the end if you want. We're putting out new beers. So it's not just uh, it's not just innovative place for myself to put out new beers, but also our kitchen staff is great. And they are putting out you know new specials every single week that are incredible. So it's an innovation hub for both the beer and the food. Excellent. So for our listeners out there in and around the Philadelphia area, go check it out. It's on my list, like I said. So I can't wait. From the pictures I've seen, it looks beautiful. So 
looking forward to that. And what you mentioned a moment ago is a good segue into the next question. For those that might not be familiar with Victory, what's one of the varieties, maybe it's one that's like a, a flagship, if you will, that truly exemplifies the brand? Which one should somebody try if they've never had Victory before? Yeah, this is a very easy question. So if you were to pull everybody at Victory and ask them what their favorite beer were, 100% sure that 90% or more would say Prima Pills. So we were we started as traditional German brew house and actually, so both the founders, Bill and Ron, went to brewing school in Germany. I know Ron knows German. I'm not sure about Bill, but up until even when I, the first time I worked at Victory, like five, six years ago, a lot of the recipes were still in German. Prima Pils is a German Pilsner. I think it's the best German Pilsner I've ever had. And I have a keg of it behind me right now. Definitely, definitely my favorite. And it just stands the test of time. It's It's been a uh, top rated Pilsner ever since we debuted it probably 20 years ago. We'll have to put now Ross and Andy on the spot. I, I'm not much of a beer drinker. So I'll have to ask Ross and Andy favorite victory beer. Andy, you want to go first? I, I think it was Prima Pils. And I'm yeah. not just saying that because he did. But. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say uh, up until a couple of years ago, I was a big fan of Hop Devil. But more recently, I had Cloud Walker. And the, the hazy IPAs or New England style IPAs, as they're known, they kind of hit the market and saturated the market a handful of years. And I'm a big fan. But I'll tell you, Cloud Walker is, has to be one of the better ones I've had. It's really good. A lot of flavor. Definitely very easy drinking. It's like, what, 6.6% ABV. Definitely does not taste like that. Yep. Very good. I'm drink- That's what I'm drinking right now. There you go. Me too. I, I saw that Victory has a, a brew forward mission that created the Brotherly Love Community Fund. Could you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, and before I speak on the brew forward, so brotherly, the Brotherly Love Community Fund – so this second time that I came on to Victory, like I said, COVID happened. So the tap room got pushed back. So I got put on the innovation team. And my first project there was as a team, we had to come up with essentially brotherly love. That was a ton of work that took almost eight months to innovate. We brewed the trial batches. I think we did like 47 trial batches before we even scaled it up to the larger scale. I definitely know a lot about the brotherly love. And during, so part of that was, so we've had the brotherly love trademark for about 10 years but we were waiting on a good beer to then use the name because obviously brother brother love is like such a great name for our region in philadelphia so we were waiting for the right time and place to use it when this taproom opened in philadelphia everyone said this is definitely the time to use it so this easy drinking crushable hazy ipa that still is full flavor and full body is what we were planning on and Part of that was like engaging in the local market with a name like this was we wanted to give back and then connect to the local market. So then the Brotherly Love Community Fund, it's a way that we can then reach out to local charities that are directly helping our community. And a part of the proceeds of Brotherly Love then go back to the to that charity. So we just uh, had a check ceremony this past Friday where the founders, Bill and Ron, came out and they presented a $25,000 check to this charity back on my feet, which takes people that are homeless and provides them with shelter and opportunities and jobs and a bunch of different stuff. So that was very special to be part of. Love it. Love companies that find ways to give back to the community. And that's just a great example. So congrats and, and thanks as well. Before we jump into Penn State, got to ask, 
what's next for Victory Brewing? What can you share with us? What's next for you? So since I've been in Philadelphia, I've, I'm not sure exactly, not that I don't know what the larger company is doing, but I'll, I'll speak on just what my plans are for Philadelphia, for the Philadelphia location. Personally, my goal is I want to be, I want our tavern to be recognized as the best local brewery in Philadelphia. So obviously Victory is a large company. It would be comparing apples to oranges to compare us to some brewery that makes 1500 barrels a year that sells beer in the local market. But I think that if I compare myself to their beer, like, like I said before, like it's, it's not math. It's like people have opinions, but I, I'd like people to then, you know, recognize my beer personally, you know, selfishly as great beer. So that's what I'm working on. I'm just trying to make the best beer I can down in Philadelphia. I'm trying to make each brand exciting that I'm putting out and keep doing what we're doing. I think that we're doing really right now. I think the summer will be even more exciting as people go out and start drinking. We have a rooftop patio, so I think that will only help bring more people in. So I'm just excited to keep doing what we're doing down in the tap room. We'll have to take a, a road trip, pick up Ross on the way, and uh, get down there and, and meet you in person. And that's right. Maybe you'll give us a, a private tour as well. For sure, for sure, definitely. Hey, uh, Richie, I want to get your thoughts also. The craft brewery industry has blown up, for lack of a better phrase, over the last 10, 15 years. How do you see Victory kind of keeping up with just the, um, I'll use the word saturation, not in a negative context, but the saturation of the market, just given the volume of breweries that are out there, right? How does Victory say, hey, come to our brew pub as opposed to the others or choose our six pack at your local distributor as opposed to the others that are next to it? Definitely. So I think it's mostly a quality over quantity thing. So I think 10, 15 years ago, everybody was looking for something different. They didn't really care what it was. So they just wanted different beer styles, different, different hops, where I think we've taken more of an approach of, we're making sure that everything we're putting out on the market is high quality. So we're picking and choosing our spots where they need to be and just making sure that we're staying plugged to the local market. We don't lose the local market, but we're still expanding nationwide with some of our larger brands. If this is allowed, right? What's your favorite non-Victor brewery? So would I venture, like, would you venture to, would you venture to tell us or do you want, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, you to, I'll tell you, you know, you go keep, against your roots here. Yeah, you can keep it in. I'll explain why you can keep it in. So yeah. this is not why they're my favorite. But my favorite is uh, New Glarus. So if you don't know what New Glarus is, it's in Wisconsin, and they yeah. only sell beer in Wisconsin. So the last time I checked their numbers, they sold 300,000 barrels last year or maybe the year before in Wisconsin. So the population of Wisconsin is much smaller than most states, and 300,000 barrels is a ton of beer. So they've just decided that they're going to dominate the local market. And when you go to Wisconsin, everybody is in love with you know, new glares, especially your spotted cow is probably their, their flagship beer. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not worried about victory losing, you know, maybe, maybe some sales in Wisconsin, but the stuff that new glares puts out all their normal beers. And then they, they have a lot of sour beers, I guess they have a lot of like unique beers that are small batch beers that are absolutely incredible. So definitely without a question, my favorite brewery besides victory. There you go. Andy and I enjoyed a couple of spotted cows when we were, he and Jared and I, and, and another buddy were in Wisconsin last beginning of last football season for the Penn state opener. Cool. So we enjoy, enjoyed some new Glarus up in uh, Madison. Awesome. Yeah. My friends actually, I think they went to that 
I think they went to that game. It was that game or uh, homecoming, and they uh, snuck some spotted cow back for me, so could enjoy some in Pennsylvania. All right. We're going to put you now in the lion's den, brought to you by our friends at Lions Pride and reminisce about your time at Penn State. Remember to visit lions-pride.com and join the Lions Pride loyalty program to start earning rewards so you can use on apparel and merchandise. Richie, we've really enjoyed hearing your story and how you've gotten into the brewing industry and all the great things you're doing at Victory. How did your time at Penn State prepare you for this early part of your career? Because you're still, you graduated in 15. You, yeah, we'll call it early part of your career. What do you Clearly, think? he drank a lot of beer. Yeah. Yeah, I was a business major, so I spent a lot of time at the bar. It was, uh, it honestly, it, it was more, what, what I've learned, taken away from my initial Brewing is, I guess, is more of a, I don't, this is, sounds like I'm an idiot, but it's like, it was more of like a, a social thing. It was like, I, I learned how to talk to people. My Penn State education, like, is not helping me really in my job right now currently, but it definitely has opened doors for me. No, it's fine. I think we all can agree it's the experience of college that, ultimately probably propels us as opposed to just what we learn in the classroom. Yeah, definitely. Like it was something that like I needed to do, but I guess I didn't take advantage of all the STEM majors and stuff. I thought that I could come in and dominate with just a business degree. And maybe now I'm, I'm starting to see some business stuff and it's starting to then click. And I'm starting to remember a lot of the stuff that I learned in business school, but starting out, um, I, I wasn't using much education I learned at Penn State in my early brewing career. It was basically doing manual labor in a factory for the first four or five years I was brewing. So, I don't know, integrity, hard work, all those There you go. things you want to talk about. <laughs> Typical Penn Stater, but as far as my business education, I'm just finally starting to, to use some of that. You, you mentioned spending some time at, at the bars. Favorite bar? When I was there, I liked, was it Bill, Bill Pickles Taproom? But now, I guess Champs is like the place to be at. So that's all I hear and see online is just everyone <laughs> wants to go to Champs. And then whenever I go to Penn State, there's a three-hour line to get in. It must be pretty crazy. Do you have Victory Beer at Champs or, or Pickles? I'm sure we have it somewhere in State College. Okay. I'm not. Yeah, last time I went up there, I think I, we were at, I don't know, I think Pickles. I'm, I don't even know if there, there was beer at Victory beer. You like see your beer and you're like, yeah, that's my beer. That's definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Victory is pretty, pretty much not that we're everywhere, but I did work for a smaller brewery for a time in in Philadelphia, Philadelphia Brewing Company. It was nice to get out and see their taps, but it's pretty standard to see Victory tap lines and bars all across Pennsylvania. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I've had Prima Pills at Champs. Okay. So there you go. It's there. So this is probably one of the hardest questions you're going to get because I know I can't answer it, but what is your favorite Penn State memory? Yeah, the stuff I can share with you probably. we I think we beat Michigan in 2013, a six-overtime game. That was pretty awesome. My dance and thon senior year, that was looking back. That's something that I always remember. And then something just kind of off the cusp. When, I don't know if you guys, you guys know Avicii and Levels, so that was like the height of levels was on every other song at the bar. And Avicii came to Penn State and played at the Bryce Jordan Center. 
he came out and played Zombie Nation. We were at Penn State at the very end with Penn State jersey on. I was like, losing my mind. I was a freshman. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Love it. If you could now visit as an 18-year-old freshman, what advice would you share with Richie? I would say don't be pressured into kind of following what everyone else is doing. You know, all my friends got that were in the business school, they all got corporate jobs and they're doing great and they love it. But that just wasn't for me. And I think if I had realized earlier that I was brewing was something that I was going to pursue full time and I was dead set on it, I think that I probably would have taken some other classes or maybe got involved with some other clubs that maybe would have prepared me better. That's all. And uh, looking at hindsight, I would say just enjoy your time there, colleges and everything, and just don't be afraid to uh, pursue your dreams. Good advice. Uh, along the advice lines, when you find out someone's considering Penn State, what do you tell them? Why would you want them to go there? I mean, Penn State has everything that you're looking for. I know what I was looking for was a big state school that had a football team. So it was exactly what I wanted. But if people aren't interested in that, there's so many different opportunities. There's all these clubs and organizations that you can get involved with. So you can really make big Penn State as big or as small as you want. Part of the reason that you go to Penn State is like a lifetime decision. Just, you know, podcasts like this, where uh, a couple months ago, I was reached out to by the Smeal Club Philly to host an event at the Brew Pub. And just that alone has opened up tons of doors for me for all from all these Penn State connections. So this definitely isn't the last time that I'm going to be using my, the Penn State network to connect with people. And uh, it seems like everywhere I go, I'm always bumping into somebody that went to Penn State. And then I guess further to that, if you, you, cause you mentioned your experience with getting into the brewing industry, if you were to speak with, let's say a Penn Stater that was maybe a junior or senior, and they're thinking about getting into the brewing industry, what advice would you have for them specifically? So I worked at some homebrew shops and some local craft breweries, but I think that if I did it again, I would have definitely tried to get involved or maybe even start a homebrew club at Penn State, get involved with more STEM majors, maybe take some classes that had more to do with brewing. And I would basically use Penn State's network to find somebody specifically that might be able to place me in a job instead of just blindly reaching out to all these different breweries. I think I applied to like probably 400 breweries before Flying Dog gave me a job. And I definitely did not use Penn State's network correctly. I'm sure I could have found somebody that was in the brewing industry from Penn State. I'm happy to help anybody that is looking for a job in the brewing industry that's a Penn State grad. There's so many people that are willing to help. And I just, I didn't take advantage of that. Fair enough. And then I guess you kind of alluded to it a moment ago. In addition to the Smeal Club Philly that you mentioned, how else do you feel connected to the university? Anything else you're involved with or uh, anything like that? So I'm part of the alumni association, but, and I go to football games, but I'm not doing anything specifically beyond that, except that literally pretty much everybody I hang out with all my friends went to Penn state. So I feel still very connected to Penn state and I don't think that's changing anytime soon. So I think Penn state's going to be definitely part of my life for forever. And you're probably serving a lot of Penn staters at the tap room. 100%. So part of that networking event was we put out a beer called Hoppy Valley IPA. Um, play off the word, play off Happy, Happy Valley. We sold out of that beer fat, like twice as fast as the next closest beer that I've, I've made in Philly. People are just, and it's not even football season. People love Penn State. That we do. And thanks for, for joining us today and, and spending some time. I think as we hear about your journey, you're one that has 
just follow your passion and done it in a little bit of an unconventional manner. You talked about maybe not taking some of the STEM related Penn State classes, but I think just your determination to, to get into the beer industry and and work your way up is certainly quite impressive. So congratulations for that. And we certainly wish you a lot of luck in the future. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. So if you want to follow us on Victory Taproom underscore PHL, you'll see all of our beer releases, all of our food specials that are coming out each week, all of our events. So that's the easiest way to follow what I'm doing in the tap rooms. Fantastic. We look forward to uh, seeing you there one day. And we always end the podcast with, we are Penn State. Lion Legacy is a Baruda production. If you enjoy this Labor of Love podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast platform.